had a major problem. We hit a theological crisis. We hit a point of doctrinal error that has never been matched in the history of Christianity. It was a horrible moment because I might have been mistaken on how many times the rooster crowed. <laughs> but praise God, someone asked me after church and they were exactly right. In the, in the speed of communicating the story, I got the denial and the crows mixed up. As far as we know, well, we do know this. Peter denied Jesus three times. And we know from Matthew's gospel that the cock crowed. We know from Luke's gospel that the cock crowed after those three denials. The cock didn't crow three times, one after each denial. The cock crowed at the end of three denials. Mark said the, the rooster crowed twice. So I leave that with you to, to sort out, according to two Gospels, the, ro the, 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 the cock crowed, the rooster crowed, we assume once. But then we get Mark's Gospel, which said twice. But nowhere in all of Scripture does it say three times. So I stand corrected, please. Wow, I'm glad to get that off of my chest. <laughs> and you know, I mentioned about the point of contact when Jesus' eyes met Peter's, and, and, I, and I felt like I really kind of dismissed that moment because time really didn't go, allow us to go in to what that moment would have really been like for, uh, for, for those eyes to meet after the denial and Peter to run out and weep bitterly, the Scripture says, there's no way we could we, we would have time to go over all that. So I, I hope that uh, that any injustice to the scripture has been corrected, and from the bottom of my heart, I mean that. I mean that. We want to be accurate. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, I am sure glad that we serve and belong to a perfect Savior because we don't bring much to the table. All we bring is our imperfections, our sins, our sorrows, our brokenness. And Father, as Adam mentioned earlier, the great exchange, the indescribable exchange is you take all that and you give us your righteousness when we confess that we need that Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the good family as we approach this, uh, this day of service, the day of the funeral. A difficult time, but yet, Father, a time of celebration as Father and Son have been reunited with wife and mother. So we thank you for the hope that we'll have on that day and the hope that we share even now. So, Father, take this message.
Take this message in the time that we have remaining. Use it for your glory. Change our hearts, Father, that we may better understand exactly what our Savior was willing to endure in order to save sinners like us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A prayer from the cross, a pivotal point, a pivotal moment in history, a moment in time, a moment in measureless eternity, a moment that we will examine but can never fully understand this morning. Jesus has gone through the betrayal, the denials, the arrest, the mock trials, the angry crowd has cast its vote. Our Lord has been stripped, beaten, mercilessly whipped, and humiliated with a crown of thorns. And now he hangs on one of the most cruel devices that man has ever devised for execution, and he prays. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks to a repentant thief beside him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He looks at his mother and says, behold your son, and looks to John, the disciple whom he loved, and said, behold your mother. And then these words, would you please stand at the reading of the scripture this morning. We are in Matthew chapter 27, reading two verses, beginning in verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. And may it penetrate deep into our hearts this moment, this moment in history that changed the course of time. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Crucified at 9 a.m., Jesus hung in the light of day on full display until noon. Dr. W.A. Criswell, and if you don't know this old preacher, you need to look up some of his sermons. Dr. Criswell said he was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he was crucified naked. Our artists are very kind. They always paint our Savior covered, but not so, says Dr. Criswell. 
He was crucified naked. God meant for his son to be exposed. And you cannot expose him too much. You cannot preach about him too much. You cannot sing about him too much. You can't exalt him too much. You cannot brag on him too much. You cannot present him too much in the workplace, in the play place, in the school place, in the church place, no matter where. You cannot present our Lord too much. Thank you, Dr. Criswell. Then suddenly at high noon, the world goes dark, plunged into darkness and remained for three more hours. And at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., a cry pierces the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened? What happened at that moment? Martin Luther summarizes that cry with this. God forsaking God, who can understand it? But I want you to know, church, we have just witnessed the moment, the exact moment our Lord identified with the totality of the human condition. He bore our sins. So our first point of consideration is this. Jesus identified with the sinner's darkness. It was not a solar eclipse. It was not a sudden rush of clouds from a storm. It was not blowing sand or something that blocked out the sunlight. I'm telling you, at, the, at that hour at high noon, God turned off the lights. The same one who said, let there be light, said, shut her down for three hours. I believe that. You see, darkness is a sinner's condition. There were three days of darkness in Egypt before the Passover now three hours of darkness before the Passover lamb would die for the sins of the world. Darkness illustrates the lostness of man and the judgment of God. Darkness represents eternal hell. The Son of God was experiencing the darkness of the human condition and he cried out. But listen, John tells us this. There is a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The giver of light is hanging in the darkness. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that very moment, Jesus not only identified with the darkness of sinners, he identified with the despair of sinners. Dr. Criswell, one more time, please. 
What could be the meaning of so tragic a conclusion to the greatest life the world has ever seen? What has happened? What could it be? Oh, the grief that comes to our hearts, even just to think of such a trial and such a death. The hands that bless the little children are now torn and ravaged. The feet that walked on errands of mercy are now nailed to the cross. The brow that was so beautifully crowned with the peace of God is now encircled with thorns. The lips that spoke such words of grace and mercy are now parched and dry, and the eyes that were filled with such compassion are now glazed in death. What has happened? My God, why? Folks, I can't restrain myself. If we don't get this, we don't get it. And through all the physical, emotional, and mental torment of his betrayal, his trials, his false witnesses, his mockings, his cursing, his spitting, his sluggings, his beatings, his scourging. Jesus has suffered at the hands of men. He remains silent. He remains silent. Isaiah said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All the pain, all the agony had not caused him to cry out. Not once from nine till noon, not once. Then darkness fell and in the three hours of darkness, something happened that caused him to cry out in anguish. What was it? It wasn't the beatings, it wasn't the scourging, it wasn't the brutality that had been inflicted upon him. It wasn't the torment of the denials and the false accusations and the mock trials. It was not any of that which caused horrendous pain and suffering. It was not that. In that moment, your sins and my sins and the sins of the world were put on him and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their backs on him. He had lived a perfect and holy life hating sin, but now the sin of the world was placed on him. Jesus took our place and bore our sins. My God, my God. He suffered the punishment that we deserved and which justice demanded. He died as a sin offering and paid the penalty for our sin. The wrath and the judgment of God that we deserve now fell upon him. And in the three hours of darkness, he suffered the equivalent of an eternal hell. My God, my God. He had lived in the fellowship and presence of God his whole life from eternity past. And now he's separated. For the first time, for the first time, the Son of God, the giver of light and life, was in darkness. 
How do we reconcile that? How do we wrap our minds around that? Separated from God's presence. At that very moment, he drank the cup of God's wrath. This is the horror that caused him to scream, not the brutality and the physical torment, not the mental and, the, and the, all of the things that he had gone through prior. It wasn't the nails driven through his hands, the nails driven through his feet. It wasn't that. It was your and my sins. Brothers and sisters, how can we sit in calmness with that reality of the cost that God was willing to pay? If we don't get this, we don't get it. We have just witnessed the moment that Jesus took on the full weight, burden of all the sins of the world. And his only response could be, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that Jesus took your sins and mine upon himself, bearing our iniquities as had been prophesied in Isaiah 53. God couldn't have had fellowship at that moment with sin because the Father had to turn his back on Jesus. The first time there was a break in fellowship within the Godhead, our sin separated the Father from the Son. Guys, I can't even begin to explain that but it happened it happened he never ceased being God I am not saying that he gave up his deity don't go there on me but God had to turn away from his son because it was such an ugly putrid, sickening moment for the holy of holies. He couldn't look at it. Jesus quoted from Psalm 22, recognizing the horrible cost of a sacrifice so that you and I would never have to cry it. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that everyone who comes to faith in him, believing in him as their Lord and Savior, will never have to utter those words. Hallelujah! For our sake he was made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So now the full force of God's 
righteous and holy anger fell on Jesus. We cannot imagine the horror he had to suffer, but what caused him to scream and all of that that accumulated upon him as the sins of humanity. There's only one thing that could cause him to cry out again, repeating, repeating, repeating your sins and my sins, my sins and your sins. That's the only thing that could cause him to cry out. He had to drink the bitter cup to the last drop. And I am so glad he did. If ultimate, it is the ultimate revelation of his perfect love. There is a great word found in Scripture. In 1 John 4.10, we find it recorded. It's called propitiation. It is the basis for every blessing that we have. It's the basis for our wealth. Pastor Adam. It is only because of Christ's atoning sacrifice that God can freely offer us forgiveness and grace because he fully satisfied God's justice. Our greatest need was for someone to take our place, bear the punishment for our sin and set us free from the wrath of God that should have been poured out upon us. So that now God is free to forgive and bring us back to himself and pour out his grace and his mercies and blessings upon us. Jesus spoke these words showing that he was bearing our spiritual death and our separation from God on the cross in order that we could be reunited with God and receive his eternal and abundant life. Point number three, at that moment, Jesus identified with the sinner's disunity. He could have called 10,000 angels. Even the mockers at the cross said he saved others. Let him save himself. Oh, God forbid, if he had saved himself, he would have lost all of us. The moment in time when God was forsaking God. Who can understand that? But our salvation rests on it. It rests on it. The words that we have shared with each other this morning, I have shared with passion, I have shared with conviction. Because I wrestled with this this week trying to understand, trying to understand how all this works. And there's only one response I could come up with to Christ's cry. And let me tell you something, I don't think he muttered those words. I don't think he spoke them in the softness of the moment. I think he cried out in a way that it penetrated into the deepest parts of heaven and earth. The universe could have heard him say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And my only response is, my God, my God, why did you do that for me? 
Why did you do that for me? How can we hear these words and not repent? How can the church hear these words and not rush to the altar? How can the lost hear these words and still reject the Christ who loved you that much? And now all he offers is grace and mercy, patience and kindness, love and understanding. Oh, Holy Spirit, rain down. Because we will never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll never have to say it. Because Jesus said it on our behalf. Father, I come in the name of Jesus. Before the throne of grace, O oh Lord. to thank you for the indescribable gift of your son. Paid in full. Paid in full, says the son of God. He took the wrath that I deserved so that I could receive the grace so undeserved. If you're here this morning and you've never come to know this person, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, I beg you to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart as we close this service. And if he brings any question or any doubt as to your salvation, then settle it this morning. Settle it this morning. Settle it for all eternity this morning. And if he confirms that you are his child, a child of the Most High God, then rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. But do not ignore the Holy Spirit. For the glory of Christ, for the honor of the Most High God, we say amen. Please stand.